0: You're listening to the Big Chill Podcast. This is episode 306 England. Is this progress? Big Chillians, and welcome back to the Big Chill Podcast on this extremely somber Monday. I'm looking at a defeated and devastated Eddie and Sam, so I'm going to leave it to both of you. Um, I'll just give my little tidbits as we go, but obviously the fans want to hear how you feel.
1: Well, first of all, my voice is gone, so it's not impacting how I feel, but I'll definitely sound a little bit different than usual. <laughs> that, that was str- oh, that, that is, word. That like word was a little preview.
0: <laughs> yeah, I hope this um, is the epitome of your feeling.
1: You know, honestly, I don't feel that bad about losing. I, I I went into that match expecting them to win or thinking that they would win at least, but knowing that, uh, as I said before in the podcast, I could accept them losing in a non-catastrophic fashion. So <clears throat> the the defeat didn't bother me that much. I think the nature of the performance did. I think fundamentally all of my concerns early on in the tournament that if England were to win this, Southgate had to get out of his own way and he got to the final and well and truly could not get out of his own way. Um, and then obviously on a more serious note, I suppose also this England team has maybe represented... The best of english culture in some respects and the positivity and uh, the awareness that they've brought about certain issues so to see the situation in the stadium before the match and during the match and then the the comments that have been made subsequently the racism and the just the hatred that's come out as a result of the defeat i think that's the more depressing aspect for me than 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 the performance in the pitch or the, or the result
2: yeah I mean I mean, obviously just starting, it's pretty devastating to lose in a major final. I've never had that feeling. I've never understood what it will be like to do it on penalties is even harder to take, but simultaneously we've done something that we haven't done. It's progress, I would consider it progress. Uh, but Is it really Sam? The, it's I guess the only reason it's progress is because the game was incredibly similar to the Croatia World Cup semi. But it happened in a final, (laughs) so progress in terms of quite literally being one step closer to winning. Yeah, Um, it's it. It was such an annoying performance. It was so frustrating because the first twenty minutes, twenty five minutes, in no way, shape, or form did Italy look like they were in a contest at that point. And the goal was great. You mean England's play was great? Hold on,
1: Sam. You mean that England didn't look like they were in a contest?
2: Well, no, Italy didn't look like they were turning up. Right, but the expression
1: didn't okay. look like they were in a contest means that they are, are oh, Boston. They weren't
2: England. being challenged. Okay, you mean on yeah. England. Okay, well, Italy... No, I'm just like making sure just they're... Up And England would love yeah. up. No no, 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 Okay, fair enough, fair enough, fair enough. Um, yeah, and it was such a good opening. It filled me with so much like courage that this wasn't going to be like Croatia. And then lo and behold, we do the complete, it it was identical it was the exact same thing like it didn't make sense to me any part of it like you're going up against one of the most attacking teams in the euros and you're just going more and more defensive more and more deep it just wasn't going to work and it wasn't ever going to work and yeah I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty frustrated (laughs) like it's just frustrating like Eddie said it's I'm frustrated at the manner of the defeat, rather than the defeat on penalties in a major Euros final. So,
0: yeah, I, I I agree with you that first twenty minutes. I mean, we had spoke in our last episode, kind of what we predicted, and I had said I had felt it was going to be a tough back and forth, both defensively, good matchups with an under two and a half, and you both had said, you know, I think England could score two, three, even four goals. And, you know, at the first two minutes, obviously, you know, we chatted in the chat. Uh Oh, it's going to play out. And then that first 20 minutes, I thought the same thing, you know, like, man, this they could be right. You know, like I I was definitely leaning towards feeling what you both were feeling pre-match after that first 20. And then it was like watching a team just turn the switch off. And it was, I think, I mean, that's the heartbreaking part is you watch that first 20 And you, I felt the hope that this is, you know, they look great. They look phenomenal. They're going to steamroll here. And then, yeah. And then it's just like, what the hell is going on right now? You know, like you get into that 50 to 60 minute and you're just like, what the fuck is this?
1: Yeah. And look, all of that fundamentally, all of that responsibility falls on Southgate. He's built a team that's thinks defensively, that thinks negatively when it comes to their style of play. And when they then get put into tough situations, they are going to revert to their sort of true form. The fact that I'm also, I'm going to slaughter Southgate here. I think it's a bit of a shame because I think he's very nice. And I think what he's done to help rebuild the the image of the England team is huge and perhaps much more significant than, again, England winning anything. But... (laughs) In any sport, keep going, Eddie. In any keep sport, going. in any sport, <laughs> he's going to hear
0: this and think, "Who's this muppet that's ridiculing <laughs> me?"
1: <laughs> in any sport, you know, the coach or the manager, I think you get judged by the adjustments that you make. You can you can put your original tactic out there, but fundamentally, you know, like if you look at the NFL, Bill Belichick wins games because he wins the second half, and Gareth Southgate, I mean, he could have had a corpse on the touchline for the second half. The goal, the Italian goal was clearly coming. He made no substitutions, nothing to change. Just, I guess he was sitting there crossing his fingers, hoping, well, if we can survive another 10, 15 minutes, they're going to get desperate. But you could feel the goal coming. Then even after the goal, he didn't do, didn't make any immediate changes. I mean, I think the first substitution was the 79th minute, I think. Then even, in extra, one, wasn't it? Yeah, then even in extra time, you have that ability to maybe inject a bit of fr- some fresh legs and some pace. And actually, in the second half of extra time, England looked good again. I think A, because Italy reverted also to their default position, which was to hang on for penalties at that point. And England were the ones kind of pushing forward. But again, then he saved two substitutions with what, 15 seconds left, which... We can then touch on that. I'm not going to be critical of anyone in making substitutions to bring on penalty takers, but if you're going to bring on penalty takers, bring them on with a couple of minutes so they can touch the ball. Like don't have someone the first time they're kicking a ball since halftime probably is when they're taking arguably the biggest kick of their life. And that's, you're not. You're doing the players a disservice there. Just give them the chance to get a little bit of a touch so to you maybe get a little bit of the adrenaline and the energy out of them and to also just feel as if they have a bit of, you know, they know what the ball's going to feel like coming off their foot. So I just think overall, Southgate's obviously not going to lose his job. I think to me in a sense, you know, you know, we gave that score, right? And I gave him a seven coming, I think going into the Denmark match. It's still a seven, even though, and he's only getting the seven because they made the final. The actual assessment for me of him as a manager in this tournament is probably a four. Wow. It's low. It is low. I mean, they didn't beat, again, it's just look at the teams they beat. It doesn't take too much. And with the squad that they have, they really, I'm optimistic about the future of England football because they have such a talented group of young players. But you can waste generations of talented young players. It doesn't take a lot. You know, you're not talking about 20 tournaments that you're going to have with this group of players. You're going to have five, six, seven with all of them fit. You never know what injuries are going to happen. You never know when people's careers just fall off a cliff. And to have squandered one opportunity and to have made them play a style of football that fundamentally the squad is not suited to, just because it's what he is most comfortable with, it kind of it got them to where they... Should have been playing almost any style, and then it wasn't good enough in the biggest test that they faced.
2: It's actually, yep. a, it's a good point about the um, the generational part of this squad because you know Saka was the youngest starter in a semi final and now obviously major tournament final as well. Um, the fact is that this England team I wouldn't even say is at its peak for Qatar like like the this English team. You don't know, be the peak. No, you but what know. I mean is like. If if the scenario was at the moment, there'll be a lot of players that played last night that will be in the, you know, that could easily be in that squad in six years' time.
1: Okay. Like, but then Harry Kane's time,
2: gone. That kind of thing. So where are the goals yeah. coming?
1: You, no, th- you I'm say saying that, but like the the Harry Kane's of- gone. Sterling might be gone. So a lot of the players who actually were the best performers in this tournament will be gone. So, and then it's, yeah, Saka's shown a bit of potential, but he's also shown a bit of shitness too. And, it's it's a it's a bit of a difference to step up from, oh, look at this quite talented young prospect to really, no, 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 match in, match out now, you have to deliver. And if you look back on like a young Raheem Sterling, there were serious doubts for a long time in his career that from match in, match out, he could do it. Pep Guardiola came along and changed that. And now he is the finished product fundamentally of what he thought he could have been six or seven years ago. Saka might be Theo Walcott. And... You know, so it's all well and good, the optimism of 6 Oh, And I'm not saying this, I know you're you you're more aware than that, but that this is just some straight line upward trajectory that England will now be on for the next 10 years. But you just don't know. And England have squandered very, very talented generations in the past, usually through the players themselves making a mess of things. I think it's a real shame to be held back by your manager, because he won't play the style of football that this group of players is built to play.
0: All right, so let's let's stick with Southgate first, and then I guess get to the, some of the player performances. So pre-match, what did you think of the starting eleven? Changing it up slightly from what he had in the semis. Very yeah, he went
1: slightly. He went back to the the Germany approach. I guess that's what he considers to be the, the, the kind of big game approach for England. I guess it made sense based on the back of the Germany performance. It immediately looked incredibly smart because both of the wing backs. He then you play a formation, and within two minutes, one of them has crossed for the other one of them to score. So you know, yeah. two minutes in, he looks like a genius, and for thirty minutes, he looked like a genius. And this is what kills me about it: is fine, he picked that, and then at halftime. I was actually encouraged. I liked that the final 10 minutes of the first half England were kind of on the back foot because I actually think from a coaching standpoint that's what you the fact that they went in at 1-0 up still I would have liked to gone in and said look that was great for half an hour but that was terrible for 15 minutes. And now we need to change it and fix it. And to me as a coach or a manager, to be able to go in with a little bit of a negative aspect to focus on and still be like, look, we're in a great position. But what we can see here is how this match is going to slip away from us. We have to change it. We have to be more positive. And so I actually felt at halftime, wow, it's great that they've been on the back foot for a little bit. This is going to help him to get the players to refocus and to be more positive. And then they came out for the second half, even more negative um, and the fact that he didn't, now, do you ins- put,
0: do you put that on him? I'm, I'm do you put sure. Their second half, I, like lack I, of aggressiveness on him.
2: Well, yes, it kind because- of has to, it has to, it, it, uh, the players would have been directed. They can't just do things to kind of contradict what Southgate has said. Like that performance in the second half was the product of a team talk and a lack of adaptability that Southgate showed.
1: No, to, to me, it's 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 a greater problem than that it's about what have you worked on for two years. You know, it's one thing to give a team talk, but fundamentally, he has instilled a an ethos within that England team of being defensive, of being solid, of protecting leads, and you know, they are going to fall back on the thing that they have practiced for you know, well, four years basically. And so, yeah, the, fundamentally the blame falls at his feet. The players also hold a bit of responsibility because of quite a few of them kind of didn't turn up yesterday. Um, I mean, Mason Mount, I can't remember him playing, to be honest with you. I, I, I genuinely, I, 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 he might've had as many touches as I did yesterday. I, I, can't, I can't think of anything he did. Um and that being you know, being invisible in a final is worse than making mistakes. I would rather someone make catastrophic errors because they're trying to do things than just Mason Mount getting subbed off and thinking, wait, Mason Mount's still on the pitch?
0: Yeah, that in, was exactly it. In a, it. Like, in a spot like, where uh, you shouldn't be, right? Like, in a spot where you shouldn't be invisible. Like, I can understand if, yeah. if I didn't hear Stones' name all game, that's great. Maybe that means they're never getting any pressure. Yes. You know, they're just all offensive. That's great. But that's a position you should be hearing his name all the time.
1: Yeah. And and so then again, that Southgate, you know, the decision to So then what do you think with, of the subs? Well, the subs were kind of the right subs at the wrong time. Grealish yeah. should have come on... Again, he had to make a substitute. He should have made some changes before the goal. So at the 60-minute mark, there should have been subs. And, you know, there should have been three or four subs before the full-time whistle and the fact that there were, you know, you know, and again, the timing of the substitutions to come on to take penalties, I'm fine. And they got lucky that they even got onto the pitch because he tried to do it so late that they nearly didn't get on. So those two subs now. Maybe things would have been different if they hadn't, because maybe they, who knows what happens. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah. You know that would have been A the, what if moment, but um, and then equally, you know, I don't think basically he got nothing right for me, um, and that's that's not good enough. Yeah,
2: yeah he he got he got the blueprint right at the start, and it made perfect sense, but like. Uh, it was mentioned in the Denmark game that there was a lot of things that England did in that to then build the character to understand what you can overcome with it. You know, like going behind in this tournament, conceding in the tournament. It was good that England went through those things, and there had to be this moment with Southgate where they saw the way. You know, they saw the way Italy were kind of coming back into the match. They had that point at half time to make those changes. They had the point at sixty minutes to make those changes whether that be a substitute or whether it be like an ethos change or a team talk style change. And there was key moments in this match that nothing fundamentally happened. And that has to come back down to Southgate ultimately.
1: I just don't understand too. We watched a semifinal where Spain picked Italy apart and re- just ran them ragged for the entire match by playing high tempo, by pressing high up the pitch, by being positive in their play. And basically Spain provided the blueprint for England as to how they could win that final. And the Southgate and his staff and maybe the players sat and watched that and went, no, you know, instead what we're going to do, we're going to sit back against an Italian team that loves just keeping possession. We're going to sit really deep. We're not going to press them. We're going to allow them to just play the ball slightly inside our half to strings at times, 15, 20 passes together and wait until they unlock the door, which is basically now unfortunate that then they the goal subsequently comes from a, a set piece where you know England will be disappointed in that respect that they could have done better from that. It's not as if it, Italy sliced them open, but yeah, it's just I mean, Veratti played more passes yesterday than Declan Rice, uh, well, all four of the England midfielders who played combined process that one italian midfielder played pay, played more passes than all of the england midfield players who played centrally combined and he didn't play it the full match about england dropping deep te- he got subbed off with 10 minutes to go or whatever
2: it's it's a painful statistic is it okay okay just just i know we we're on southgate but was there any performances in that game that you thought were of the the kind of final standard that actually they kind of came out of that well,
1: well Pickford that final. I mean Pickford comes out of it looking great. He's a little bit unlucky with a goal. He could maybe be critical and say to him, it's an it's nearly a fantastic save when he pushes it onto the post. If you were being really really critical, you should say he should be tipping it around the post. Oh, no, but you know, yeah, we're talking about this is the thing with England. We've got to stop we got to start upping our standards you know we got to start we got to stop judging players by league one standards and start judging them by world class standards and i can promise you if if donnarumma had let in that goal the italians would be saying you got to do better so let's start holding our players to the same standards that the other teams do because that's how they get better we give england players at times we i mean we don't because look at the backlash to them losing but we often give them this weird pass of like, well, he's Pickford, you know, he's Jordan Pickford, plays for Everton, he's not that good, right? We're like, And the reality is, if I, the exercise I always like to do, rename him Pickfordinho, and he's playing for Everton and also playing for Brazil, and the, suddenly the expectations of him would be radically different. So, but fundamentally, great performance from Jordan Pickford. Um, I thought Harry Maguire played really well. I thought he was one of the few England players who tried to be positive. There were moments when he tried to actually step, bring the ball out of defense and get something going. Sometimes it kind of went wrong when he misplaced passes. But again, I'd rather someone trying to do that than someone just sitting back and letting the game kind of go by. So I think Maguire came off well. I think Harry Kane did the job that he was asked to do well. I think the underrated pass, the hurricane pass, when for the England goal to get that ball out wide is a fantastic piece of skill. Just, fa- I mean, it's kind of got overlooked in everything else that happened, but it's really fantastic piece of skill. And yeah, I, you know, but fundamentally, no, most of those England players will feel like they didn't really turn up.
0: I didn't think Sterling did particularly bad. I, I mean he wasn't super effective, but he continued to try and press, you know, he had a lot of plays where he was trying to get into the box and, and, and make something and he just couldn't, you know, like there's a lot of times where you thought he had an opening and then it got shut, or he lost the ball, but at least he was still trying, you know, and, and it, it's sad to say that it looked like some of the English players really weren't trying to make something. And that's how, like how you can say that in a final blows my mind.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm not doubting there. Yeah. I'm not doubting there effort levels but yeah i agree with you in the terms of make trying to make something happen yeah sterling tried was often running down dead ends and stuff but he he did try um and the same saka when he came on he tried he was kind of useless but he tried um and
2: you know well that's the point about like the saka versus mount kind of scenario where like at least Saka was recognizably bad, meaning that something he did something to be like, OK, well, you know, you're trying this or it didn't work out. Whereas when I actually think of some of the players, and man was the one for me as well, where I was like, but you've done nothing good or bad. Like, there's no involvement. It, nothing was going through him. Nothing was connecting. Nothing was happening. And it completely messed up the way England should have performed down the middle, um, just by a complete ghost appearance, basically.
1: Yeah, and maybe the killer there for Southgate is the Foden injury, because maybe if Foden had been fit, maybe he plays Foden instead of Mount, and that's a more natural position for Foden to be playing, and maybe Foden does more. So, But I doubt it, because he seems to like Mason Mount a lot. And again, I think Mason Mount is a very talented player, will go on to be a very, very good player. But he did not have a good final, and in part because he was asked to play a role that doesn't really suit him that well but it's not going to go down to its finest performance.
2: What about the Italians then? So obviously we've spoken about like England, this is a poor performance. It's potentially, you know, Southgate poor management of the game, but did the Italians need to do much? Was it a really good performance? Was it traditional? I got my views, but it'd be good to know yours.
1: Uh, I mean, I think they must be thanking their lucky stars. If you'd asked them 20 minutes into that match, what was going to happen? (laughs) They must have just think, oh, God, here we go. This is too quick, too physical, too high pressure for us. And then suddenly it was, no, 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 play the way you love it. Let's do a practice match now for the next, uh, you know, 100 minutes where we sit back and let you string some passes together. And you know how you've got really, really old central defenders? Well, we're just going to lump long balls towards them because... We're not going to try and expose their lack of pace or anything. We're going to see if Harry Kane can win headers against them, and maybe even sometimes see if Raheem Sterling can win a header against them. So,
2: what is England's?
1: Why? Why is
2: Pickford always hitting out Sterling with the kind of cross ball rather than up the gut? It it baffles me.
1: Well, I mean, look, uh, part of it was almost refreshing. It was a, it was a throwback in some, in some of the ways that England were playing. For example, taking. Goal kicks, long goal kicks. I mean, you you don't really see teams do that anymore. So for England to, on multiple occasions over the course of that match, just decide we're just going to kick this 70 yards forward and give you the ball back. I mean, it's kind of mind-blowing. It was very old-fashioned. Um, the Italians deserve credit. They played well. But look, I said, we know, you know, I said, I thought I knew who they were going into the final. And I still think I know who they are, which is very defensively sound, very organized, can keep the ball as well as almost any team in the world. And, you know, if you allow them to settle into a match and if you don't pressure the weak points in their team, they will, if it was, if it was going to come, if that was going to be a tactical affair, the Italians were always going to win it. And the fact that England chose to then turn it into a tactical affair, it's just that's the mind-blowing bit so it, the italians deserve credit i don't want to make it seem as if and in the end they were the worthy winners on the night um and you know you can make a strong case that they are the best team they were the best team in this tournament and deserve to win it so i don't want to try and make it out that this was just england blowing it but england made it as easy for them as they could have after that opening salvo
2: yeah that's what that's what baffles me about the thing is like the Italians didn't need to do much or put in any sort of heroic performances because England handed them the ability to play exactly as they do like for the first 20 minutes of that game it was kind of thinking uh, so Spanish extra time aside it was like for 110 minutes of normal time the Italians have now basically been found out high tempo play them and it was great to see it was so good to see England perform that but simultaneously that's what bugs me as well is because you saw how to beat the italians and yet you didn't then press home that advantage and you then let the italians they didn't even have to do too much just to play their standard way so like you say it's it's credit to them for being able to play their standard way but i'm less that was england letting them do it as opposed to italy getting into some rhythm to do it or you know, by like playing England better. So they had to move backwards or something like that. And it it was fine. Like the Italians performed fine and there were some good performances in there, but it just feels like you showed them how to beat them and then didn't press that home. And I can't really attribute that to Italy. That that's an England problem. And that's why it just kind of played into their hands.
1: Yeah. And look, uh, what we really learned if it's Mancini versus Southgate, I want I want Roberto Mancini every time. That's that's clear now. Um, and again, he deserves to think that they didn't qualify for the 2018 World Cup and basically haven't lost a match since then. I mean, he he deserves an incredible amount of credit for the way he's turned around. And that is again why England need to hold themselves to a higher standard because look at where that look at the progress that Italian team has made in 3 years and now when you tell me hey England have made progress cuz we theoretically well, we we tangibly made progress by going one one round further did we make progress in terms of how we play the answer is probably no whereas you look at the transformation of that Italian team i mean it's night and day and they deserve and they have some very likable players you know i think Their elder statesmen within their team are are very, very likable. Um, You know, they kind of deserve it. It's a nice, potentially a nice send-off for them after pretty incredible international careers. Maybe they'll hang around for the World Cup. Who knows? Maybe they're going to have some 40-year-olds playing. But, um, you know, doesn't upset me to lose to them in the way that it might have had it been, say, France. But uh, yeah, I don't think England made it as difficult for them as they could have.
2: It was surprising for me that that was the first time that Italy have won it since like '68. I I didn't realize that there had been such a gap for such a perennially impressive tournament team to to go nearly fifty, sixty years without this competition specifically. I mean, Italy um, have
1: Italy haven't won that much in our lifetime.
2: Then let's get on to the
0: penalties. Okay. I have two questions. Yeah. One is, was it the right move for Southgate to bring on players at the very end like that, specifically to take those penalties, obviously? And two, was it the right move? I I understand the order is predetermined, but again, like you said, not adapting to situations. Was it his fault for not adapting and letting Saka take – what is arguably the most important penalty in, in the history of England football at 19 years old. Well, ago. I mean, it's, it,
1: it, it, there's one thing to address, right? He can't change the order. He hands the order in. So he can't – it's not as if he has the ability to go, uh-oh, this one's maybe bigger than we thought it might be. Let's get someone else to take it. But when you elect yeah, someone but, to take but the still, fifth like, penalty, you know yes. you know that the fifth penalty is likely to be very significant. Yes, there seems to have been a change of tact. I think when I was growing, you know, young, the idea was always the fourth and the fifth penalty, particularly the fifth penalty was always taken by your best penalty taker. You know, Alan Shearer took the fifth penalty in penalty shootouts or the fourth penalty. Now, I think the change has been you can sometimes waste because then you lose the penalty shootout in the first three or four, and basically your best penalty shooter do- doesn't get involved. Um, which is why I guess Harry Kane takes the first one now, because you're hoping. And look, that that went to plan. Harry Kane and Maguire came up, score the first two. Italy miss one of theirs, and now suddenly you would think. And Rashford, so I'll, I'll run through this before we look at it. Going into that match, um, so Saka had never taken a penalty for in a senior appearance for either club or country. When you look through the England team, the most experienced penalty shooter was Harry Kane. He's taken 51. He scored 44. There's a significant drop-off after that. Rashford is the second most experienced. He's taken 15, scored 13. Maguire, taken 9, scored 5. Sterling, taken 9, scored 4. Mount, taken 5, scored 4. Sancho, taken 5, scored 5. Trippier taken four, scored two, Anderson three and one, Phillips three and two, Grealish two and one, and then, I mean, Jordan Pickford, one and one. Um, You don't have a ton of experience there in terms of penalty takers, and you don't have a lot of, I guess, Kane and Rashford aside, you don't have a lot of players who are the default penalty taker for their club. So I get why Rashford, and Sancho, five for five, he clearly had confidence, um, I get the substitutions. I Again, I just would like you to bring them on 5, 10 minutes earlier. A, so maybe they win the game in extra time because you're talking about two extremely gifted attacking players. So maybe they would have made the difference in the final 10 minutes of the match anyway. But certainly just give them a few touches, let them get a feel for the ball, let them get this sense that, again, you know, you're asking someone basically cold to go up and hit... You know, and yeah, it's easy to kick a football, and it's kind of easy to take a penalty, but you'd still rather have done it. There's a reason why you warm up and get a few touches before you go onto a pitch, so I think that's a shame. I can't. I personally would like to see experienced players take big penalties, so I wouldn't have subbed off Jordan Henderson, even though he doesn't have a spectacular uh, penalty-taking sort of history. Jordan Henderson has big balls. And then, I mean, that's been clear. <laughs> no, but you know what I mean? Like, I would have felt confident if Jordan Henderson had walked up to take the penalty, I would have felt confident that Jordan Henderson was going to score. I mean, I thought He's Rashford He's had tons was,
2: of big game moments as well. Yeah. He's had big game moments that help with that, even if he isn't a penalty taker.
1: He's been there. And what
2: about it. the criticism from people like Roy Keane saying that more
0: experienced players like Grealish should have stepped up?
1: Well, Grealish, Grealish. Claims, claims that he said he wanted to take one, you never know. Those are internal politics and you don't, you never really want to force a player to take one, right? If they say I'm not up to it. And sometimes people think they're up to it until they get put in the moment when they it's put in front of them and they go, I'm not feeling it. But you have the reverse. Ronaldo had the famous moment in the 2016 in Portugal's run to winning when he basically went and told players, you're going to take it. And, When they were saying, No, I don't want to take it. I'm not up to it. He said, No, 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 no. You're going to take it. You're going to score it. And even if you miss it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter anymore. It's not up to us. It's just. And he gave a very good, like, you you got there's little videos of it online. He gets very pumped up. He gets the players. And then all those players subsequently went and scored. Now, the video would look different if not the forces to them and they miss.
0: (laughs) My question with Grealish and with, you know, Roy Keane saying that he should be stepping up. So, he did respond and say that he said he wanted to take it, but at the end of the day, I mean, can he only do so much? I mean, what was his other option that he was just gonna go and take the ball? Like, I don't, you know, like you can say yeah. you're gonna take it, but is isn't Southgate ultimately deciding? Yeah.
1: No, again, yeah, it's, a list gets Southgate, so you can only it's, do it's, so it's, it's, much, right? You know, like you can't just go and snatch it. It's not like a penalty. No, in I a know, match, What I'm
0: saying like, is you can. No, I know. I, I know that's what I'm saying though. Like you can only do so much, right? Like I, I don't understand what he would have want Grealish to do besides saying, I want to take it, I want to take it. If at the end of the day, Southgate says, no, I got my lineup.
1: Put it this way, at least with Roy Keane, you know that Roy Keane would have said, I'm fucking taking one. I don't care what you say. You put me on the fucking list. And he would have been on the list. He wouldn't have given you (laughs) a choice. He probably would have somehow
2: sworn more as well in that sentence than you did.
1: But (laughs) No, but I mean, I'm just saying that's, you know, like, so... Like Roy Keane can be an absolute asshole at times and, you know, pretends as if he is the sort of ruler of the universe and, you know, all seeing, all knowing sometimes when he breaks down football. But he, he at least when he's giving that kind of criticism, you know that if it had been him, he's taking one. He would have said, no, I'm not letting a 19 year old kid take this penalty in as, ahead of me. You know, a, a player with a handful of Premier League appearances, a few England caps, no moments of significance at any point in his career. You know, and so, so
2: I mean, Grealish hasn't taken a penalty in like two years for Villa, so it's it, it's it's not like he has this kind of like incredible experience to bring it in as a big game player. Like he doesn't he doesn't do it that much. But then again, Saka doesn't either, and Saka was in the lineup. So I don't know what Southgate. He's got his own. Reasons for doing it, I guess, but...
1: No, they would have... It's not... Let's not blame it all on... They will have taken a a, a ton of penalties in practice. They will have worked out the, the order based on that. And they will have also spoken to players ahead of time. And Saka will have clearly said, I want to take one. And obviously has backed it up in training. And look, it's the nasty thing about penalties, right? England's penalties were not good aside from Keynes and Maguire's, none of those penalties were good penalties. However, it's the classic thing with a penalty. If the goalkeeper had just gone the other way, it's a doesn't perfectly it's good a cool,
2: penalty. Yeah, it's a cool, calm penalty if so, Donnarumma so, goes the other way. So let me let me go through. Was
0: Rashford's bad or unlucky?
1: So Ra- the thing that bothers me about Rashford is that's not how Rashford normally takes penalties. He doesn't do... The wait for the keeper. I mean, he's done it before, but it isn't his go-to style. And so to get to that biggest moment, I mean, if you compare it, for example, when he took the penalty against PSG in the last minute to knock them out of the Champions League, he just ran up, put his foot through it, absolutely thumped it. And there you go. And to me, I think the thing is, do whatever you do. So for example, Jorginho, okay, he missed it, but Jorginho took the Jorginho penalty. Pickford just did a really good job of not moving too early. And so, you know, Rashford did the good job of getting Donnarumma to move. I don't know why he then has to go quite so close to the post. You know, once you've got the goalkeeper yeah. to commit, now you just, just roll it in there. Um, and so it's a mixture of almost trying to take a really good penalty when you don't need to. Um, but my criticism of him is just do the thing you would normally do. And he he didn't really,
2: yeah, like that. That is it slightly unlucky though.
1: Just hitting the. I
0: mean, it's you know four inches the other way, you know, and we're not even talking about it.
1: I mean, yes and no. But he didn't. He didn't need to even be within a yard of the post. You know, the cook Donnarumma had was well and truly gone. He got to rolled it gently into the you know two yards inside the post, and it wouldn't have been an issue. And then then everyone would have been 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 saying what a cool calm and collected penalty from marcus rashford like and the killer with the rashford one is that was a huge momentum shifter within that penalty shootout even though pickford then subsequently saved the Jorginho one it shifted the feeling from england were ahead and then you're playing catch up and every penalty becomes more and more significant particularly given the fact right that uh, italy had gone first which statistically speaking Teams that shoot first win penalty shootouts for that very reason. The pressure is greater on the second taker than it is. Is why they do that ABBA format now instead of just the alternation. And that was the moment. I do think if Rashford scores, England win that shootout. Fundamentally, because I think that changes
2: pressure.
1: Sancho and Saka then get to take penalties, thinking if I miss, we don't lose. Which is a very different, you know, both of them basically took penalties thinking, "Uh uh-oh, if I now don't score, this is probably over. Obviously, clearly in Saka's case, but even in Sancho's case.
2: So Sam, Sancho's penalty. It was a pretty poor one. Like, it's just at a part of the goal where it's really easy if the keeper guesses. If the keeper just simply guesses, it's a save because of the way that it's done. So there wasn't like it was really well positioned in the corner. So even if the keeper guesses, he has to stretch. It is fundamentally the perfect. If I go this way, it is a saved penalty. And I I think it's just a pretty poor penalty. It's just, again, if the keeper goes the other way, it's cool as you like. And that was easy. But when it's the other way around, it looks poor. And I just think it was poor.
1: That's it. Also too, When you're gonna open your body up like that, it gives the keeper, you know, what they're gonna try and read most of the time, goalkeepers, they're trying to look at the your landing, the angle of your the distance your landing foot is from the ball, because that tells you whether you cannot you can wrap your foot around it or if you're gonna have to strike across it. And then also how open your hips are. So in both Sancho's and Sakas cases, they've got super open hips. They basically telegraph the way they're gonna go. Uh, Long before they strike it, and when again you then got an absolutely massive goalkeeper in goal in Donnarumma. He's also good at saving penalties. He's never lost a penalty shootout. So you know he's player of the
0: tournament, right?
1: Yeah. Uh, Weirdly enough, he won player of the tournament. Pickford won Golden (laughs) Glove for conceding the fewest (laughs) number of goals. Um, But yeah, and I mean, I feel sorry for Pickford. Because the difference, I will say, actually is Donnarumma saved penalties, obviously saved three penalties, saving three out of, well, save two and a miss. Saving two penalties out of five is extremely impressive, no matter what they are. Pickford's saves were good Great. saves. I mean, he, that Jorginho save, he's been robbed equally of having an iconic England moment. That save, if England win that shootout, that then goes into kind of top 10. I mean, it, I would say it becomes the second best save in England history. The Gordon Banks against Pele save stays number one because that's probably the greatest save of all time. But this penalty save then becomes the second most iconic goalkeeping moment of any England goalkeeper. And now it will just never be spoken about
0: that that has to be for me one of the most 180 swings of emotions in the shortest period of time ever. I mean, that save where we were at just the place went ballistic. I mean, I've never seen people so elated in their lives. Like it was insane and everyone was just so amped up and then it's within a minute. You know, you go from the highest of the high to the absolute low it wasn't even a minute it was it felt so quick at the time you know like you were just riding high and then it was through the floor like through the basement to ground level
1: and i'm not gonna say i'm not gonna say this is not like uh trying to be wise after the fact but yeah i had the moment of elation and i will say when i saw it was then saka taking the fifth i immediately did not feel good and I've been wrong about that in the past. I remember when Eric Dyer stepped up to take the winning penalty against Columbia and seeing it was Eric Dyer <laughs> and thinking, oh, no, it's fucking Eric Dyer. That that was a similar, but this was one of those moments where I just thought, oh, no, not, not, this, not this guy who's never been in a moment anywhere close to that. But, you know, he'll bounce back, I'm sure. And hopefully that England team all are better for it. And look, I'll put my spin on it. I spoke to some fans after the game. The theory I came out with that I get more satisfaction out of England if they never actually win a major tournament. I I will say the feedback, I've never been called by random people online. I've never been told I was an idiot as often as I have been in relation to that theory coming out on the podcast. Just people I absolutely have no idea who they are just telling me I'm a fucking moron. Which is fine. At least they're listening. But uh, last night, and after the match, I kind of tried to explain it to a few people, and some people didn't get it, but a few of them, a few of them, kind of did.
2: I, I, I guess in that emotional moment, it probably makes more sense because it's quite—it's easier to process a loss when you're like, well, yeah, there's next time. There's you know, in fifteen the months lining. we go again yeah right. in 15 months we go again kind of thing but just a just a remark on all of this i think obviously we've seen the 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 papers today with all this kind of like dis- disgusting abuse that the um, the three penalty misses uh got but also over the past 24 hours since the game i felt an immediate sense that some things have reverted to the problems of England teams of the past, like not to do with the players specifically, but just to do with the feeling around it. So you, you mentioned about what Southgate did for the team was to rebuild this image, rebuild kind of a feeling of getting behind the England squad and kind of having a, a feel good factor around the team. And over the past 24 hours, you have to see like, grealish come out and say this stuff about penalty shootouts which again just it's kind of airing the dirty laundry in the public which is something i remember of you know the kind of england 2000 to 2006 kind of time i think i'd probably put it down to um actually a little bit later i'd say like 2002 to 2008 around that and Then obviously the disgusting well, they're not even England fans. Like if you heard what Kane said, like they're not they're not England fans, like people saying the most insane, disgusting and hateful stuff. It's just and then seeing the fans at Wembley, you know, break through the the barriers to try and get in, it just the whole thing just kicked back to the worst times that i've gone through as kind of an england fan and seeing the worst things and it's just a shame because you feel like all this feel good that's come from croatia 2018 you know and the world cup run there and the good run here it just kind of got shot on basically within a day
1: i don't want to say i told you so sam but we had this same conversation about a week ago and you said and i said let's just wait until they lose the positivity in newspapers and everyone being behind them and everyone being, you know, it's easy when it, when you're winning. Everyone pulls in the same direction. The question is, how you know which directions does everyone start pulling when they lose? And yet, look, there's. I I still think the England team. I think the way they've reacted to the racism and I mean England fans. It made me ashamed to be an England supporter yesterday in everything booing the national anthem people storming into the stadium the fights that you've seen just the level of just drunkenness and public disorder in general then the racist abuse afterwards just every part of it it's the absolute worst of english culture being put on display for everyone to see and then when people are going to ask why does everyone want england to lose but this is why because fundamentally we have a sizable chunk of england supporters who are just absolute scum and Unfortunately, that that sizable chunk, whilst it is probably still a minority, is a vocal enough minority to make it seem as if they are representative of England fans in general. So exactly, I think
2: it's it's that it's the minority shouts loudest thing.
1: But well, yeah, I'm strange. not even optimistic enough, Sam, to be certain it's a minority. You know, and <laughs> no, but genuinely, you know, there's a, there comes a moment in time. Is it a minority? or is it just if you put the put people in the right atmosphere they'll all kind of turn into it um, i mean certainly with booing oh, the national oh now we're anthem,
0: talking like lord of the flies here
1: <laughs> yeah but certainly booing the national anthem which is just yeah. so basic and you have people defending it it's so idiotic but um, yeah and look the politicians are being rightfully criticized Boris Johnson who obviously uh, you know belittled the, the gesture of kneeling pre-tournament and then now it's coming out publicly to be critical of the racist abuse that some of the players are receiving. You can't at one moment say there, why are you why are you doing this? It doesn't it doesn't apply to you. It's meaning it's a meaningless gesture. And then this the second time around go, Oh, it turns out all of you get racist abuse when the sport doesn't go well. So maybe it's worth you trying to show people that it's not what you stand for and that we can be better than that. So just everyone kind of aside from the players and again it's it's the reason why i do like southgate and that i'm in i wouldn't want him to be sacked because i don't think a lot of former england managers would have handled all of this situation as well as he has done but everyone apart from the england staff and england players have looked bad for the past 24 hours
0: now let me ask one final question just to kind of lighten the mood a little Eddie, as manager of England, do you win Euro
1: 2020? 100%. 100%. <laughs> do you just, mean the, do you just mean the
2: game or do you mean like Eddie's route to the final? The <laughs> whole tournament.
1: Yeah. No, no, I, I genuinely believe that. Genuinely, it's not even, I just think, yeah, assuming I have the right staff around me to help me do some of the things that I wouldn't be able to do which is what every manager or head coach needs anyway. So I'm no, not unique in that respect, but 100% I believe that I could have managed that final for certain and asked that England team to be, to go back to the keyword more adventurous. Uh, and I think really taken that game by the scruff of the neck as we later saw Saka get absolutely taken by the scruff of the neck. And and look, I think that's the one final talking point. Jorginho should have been sent off for that tackle on Grealish. It's a it's a red card all day long. It doesn't matter that you just go into your thigh. It's it's a dangerous, dangerous tackle. And i I thought we've established the idea that if you go in studs up with no control, you're gonna get a red card. And that level of inconsistency. I thought the referee was actually pretty good, and he for the most part couldn't let the game flow, and he didn't get either by England or Italy get sort of you know tempted to just blow his whistle consistently. So I, I don't think he was bad, but that was a it's a red card all day long. And yeah. similarly, I actually think the 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 Chiellini pull, pull back on Saka. It isn't a red card, but it should be. The rules of the game should not allow you. It's one thing to pull back someone's shirt to just as a professional foul to stop them from getting by you that's fine but to actually yank them down a kind of horse collar tackle to actually slam them into the ground the moment where you've gone from just the pullback to actually pulling down i think that should be a red card too it isn't so i'm not saying he should have been sent off but the rules of the game should be phrased in a way where something as fundamentally quite vicious as that that could have i mean but maybe this story comes dangerous. out. Maybe Saka says he's concussed and that's why he misses missed the penalty. But you know, like you know, but or uh, I mean,
0: or, or you have the situation of why they took away horse collars was because people were getting their feet caught and literally almost ripping their ACLs off because their feet gets caught and then their knee bends back like it yeah. shouldn't. I mean, when shit like that,
2: like that's you know. But also, every sport has th- these protocols in. To, to stop these things happening. Like rugby, obviously, if the tackle's anywhere near height, you get sent off. Uh, obviously, NFL, even with all the protection that the players are afforded, there's a reason horse-collaring is a penalty. And yeah. like you say, you can't send someone off because, wow, what a precedent you're setting in a major tournament, if you were like, that is. But fundamentally, it's, it's professional. It's a professional foul because he knows exactly what he's doing. But it is vicious and cynical, what he's doing as well. I... I almost think he, if you were going to send him off, it would have to be like unsportsmanlike conduct or something. But No, no,
1: yeah. and again, I just, I just want to be clear because I don't want to come out saying he should have been sent off. The decision, the booking was the appropriate punishment. Just think that it's one of those that probably the game should allow for that to be a red card. The Jorginho one, agree. he should have been sent off. And maybe it would have yeah. changed nothing because obviously Jorginho then missed a penalty. So maybe... It would have actually hurt England in some respects, although it would have given them whatever that was—ten minutes against ten men, which would have been pretty big against tired legs. But it, I mean, that should have been should have been a sending off. But uh, Frank, speaking of people getting their legs caught and uh, <laughs> suffering serious injuries, maybe we can turn on to one of the other bigger sporting events from the weekend, in which uh, Conor McGregor lasted less than a round in his.
0: Well, he lasted around.
1: Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> it is like after he broke his ankle um, in oh, what? A, i, I mean, would say even leg. Yeah, gruesome looking injury. <laughs> and then proceeded to sit on the ground and just rant Conor McGregor style for <laughs> yeah. several minutes.
0: I, the most impressive thing about it was how he wasn't in more pain. And I get adrenaline. I understand. Look, like, it's adrenaline. I understand that there's adrenaline. But at some point. Everyone in who watched that saw his leg snap and then snap back the other way when he then adjusted it. And how he was able to just sit there and laughing and trash talking, continuing to trash talk, uh, that blew my mind. I mean, that was crazy to me. Yeah, no, it's and crazy. And actually, he took, he took about five punches almost to the face yeah. while his leg is shattered in the last five seconds.
1: Yeah, look, I mean, there's no doubting he is a tough guy. I mean, just everything in his life, right? There's no doubting. Uh, he talks the talk. He fundamentally walks the walk or maybe limps the walk. Ball, now. doesn't. Well, yeah. He snaps the
2: walk. <laughs> yeah. but, uh, he, drags, the same, he
1: drags the walk. <laughs> I do hope I, he won't. He's going to make a comeback. I hope he retires. Not that I ever really liked him anyway, but... He's just turning into a caricature of himself at this point, where all it is is just a loud Irish guy trash talking people and then losing. <laughs> and like there's yeah. a certain moment, just retire with a little bit of dignity. He's made more than enough money. Um, and just understand that your moment has passed in a sport in which people's moments are usually pretty brief. You know, we're not talking about like being relevant in the UFC for two years is already pretty good to have done it like he has for, what, nearly a decade now. It's pretty remarkable.
2: He's kind of put UFC more on the map as well, like simultane- like single-handedly as a person. Like, I've never seen more people talk about UFC, um, like pre-McGregor oh, compared
1: to oh, McGregor oh, now. Oh, oh, Dana White is not going to tell him to retire, for example. Dana White, if if Conor McGregor says he wants to come back for another fight. I mean, they've already said they've agreed to a fourth fight between him and Poirier, but, like, no matter what, Dana White is going to because McGregor is very much a cash cow for the UFC. I mean, you have to look at it from say on BT Sport. They almost never put um UFC behind like a box office paywall whereas McGregor McGregor fights always are. So you can watch, you know, huge fights for free fundamentally on BT Sport and then McGregor fights and suddenly you got to pay for it. So it shows you now. Admittedly, that's because it's British and Irish people, but it still does show you just the pull that he has that other people do not. Yeah,
0: and and the annoying thing for me is he was going to lose that match. He was pretty pounded in that first round and almost lost. You know, there was there was a moment when he was on the ground that I thought they were going to call it. He was close and he kind of snapped out of it and was able to, you know, it was one of those fights where you weren't sure if he was going to last the first round. He was going to lose that fight when all was said and done, unless he got extremely lucky, which is is the UFC, and you do get lucky and, you know, you win like that. But the fact that he lost like he did kind of gives the excuse to have a fourth fight where had he not broken his leg, he loses fair and square and gets his ass handed to him pretty pretty bad, at least in that first round he was – clearly the, the lesser of the two there and no one is questioning whether he deserves a fourth fight because he clearly doesn't. But now he escapes that criticism and will get another chance.
1: Yeah, I think that's that's a fair assessment. It does prolong it, but, but yeah. And I guess then we can switch from one player who probably should retire to uh, one player who definitely won't anytime soon, which is uh, Novak Djokovic, who it's now a three-way tie at the top of the all-time Grand Slam winner's list in men's tennis. He won Wimbledon in, in four sets in a pretty comfortable performance against Berrettini. They lost the first set, but probably should have won that set anyway, and then pretty much swept Berrettini aside. Um, I think... We've discussed it a lot, right, how it changes. He's undoubtedly now – I know McEnroe came out and said Djokovic will win at least 25 Grand Slams now. That probably feels about right. He's definitely going to retire with the most. Um, it's just I, – what I thought I saw during – I think B- the BBC commentary during the final, I think I have the statistic right, when Djokovic won his first – Grand Slam, uh, Federer had won nine, and when Djokovic won his second Grand Slam, Federer had won sixteen. So and Nadal had won nine at that point. So to put into context wow. his just dominance over the past, like I think it's fundamentally it's, it's it's overlooked just how dominant it can. It still feels as if because Nadal almost always wins the French Open, and then you've had the kind of odd winner of other tournaments here and there. It always feels as if Djokovic and Nadal and Federer have kind of been equally dominant in their own moments. But really, I mean, Djokovic has just owned men's tennis for for the last decade. I mean, it's, it's incredible. I mean, speaking of the, the two
2: people you mentioned, obviously, now... You've got Federer, who obviously lost. Um, Nadal, obviously, in in the French Open as well. And we always say, like, it's the safest bet with Nadal at the French Open. But do you think there's a point with these people now where they... So Federer is obviously going to retreat more and just focus on the grass course season. Nadal will probably retreat more and focus on the clay. Like, do you think we're getting very, very close now to the point where Nadal just isn't the guaranteed bet anymore? Or does he come back next year and it's quite easy? Like, or... Uh, would you ever bet Federer to win, like, a title now? Like, what's the...
1: I think Federer's done. I mean, he'll win. He'll probably win some ATP titles because he'll pick some weird ones. You know, he'll play the ones in Switzerland or whatever where he's one of the only high-ranking players. He'll probably win some ATP titles still. Um, I don't think he'll win a Grand Slam, like, a major again. Um, uh, Nadal is still a prohibitive favorite to win... The, the French Open until, I mean, look, he lost to Djokovic in the semifinal in a five-set semifinal. It's not like he was upset by some unknown player in the early rounds. So until I see, you know, him consistently struggling to beat people, and he looked very comfortable into that tournament up until that moment, until I see him looking like things are really, really tough, I just assume he's going to win. Um, but yeah, Djokovic... You know, he'll now be the favorite, big, big favorite for the U.S. Open. I know Frank, last time when we spoke, we talked about the idea of him going for the Golden Grand, Grand, Grand Slam, the idea that he was also going to go to the Olympics. He's, he's put a little bit of doubt on that, saying he's 50-50 to go to Tokyo. So I think there's a chance he probably sits that out. But
0: I think you got to try, though. How cool would it be to say that? You got the golden slab. <laughs> yeah,
1: but no one no one really cares about who wins the gold medal in tennis. <laughs> yeah, I in know. Tennis.
0: But still. <laughs> it just sounds really nice. <laughs> so you you may say no one cares Eddie about winning the gold medal in tennis, but a many a young kid do care about winning the Scripps National Spelling Bee and Zelia Avant-Garde of Louisiana won the Scripps Spelling Bee last week. Have either of you seen the winning word?
1: Uh, no. I saw the clip. I saw the clip of her spelling the winning word. Where? Okay, so Eddie's out. I can't. Sam, rem- I can't remember. I- I'll say this honestly. I can't remember the word, and I didn't actually see the moment she spelt it. I saw the build-up to it, where she <laughs> was like, uh, kind of trolling a little don't bit. Don't ruin it.
0: No, no. Don't even I'm say trolling. it. Don't even say it. Yeah. All right. Sam, are you ready?
1: Oh
2: wait, I'm spelling it. Okay. Yes. Uh, yeah. If
0: if you spell this correctly, you are the ninety-third Scripps National Spelling Beat champion. Wow,
2: it was you so easy. To... Every other, yeah, it every was other so requirement. Easy. I gotta I gotta or... buy to the final. <laughs> you gotta buy to the final. Oh,
1: can I just say before you Word. ask him to, before you ask him to do this? Okay. The news story I read about it was like unbelievable. She won the spelling bee at only thirteen. I mean, it's a spelling bee for children, right? Like you can't compete as 14, a twenty-five-year-old. Yeah. yeah, but you know what I mean. Like people, no, no. well, it's like it's not as if she did an ad, entered an adult's competition. And I'm not saying she she might spell. She obviously spells better than almost every adult. She might have won that anyway. But it's just a cra- It's like a weird thing. It's like entering an under tens like. 100 meter race. Yeah. I mean, like, can you believe it? He wanted it only 10 years old.
0: I think it's 16 is the limit. So she was 14. I guess there probably is a big jump, but still, it's not that sick, you know, two years. All right, Sam, are you ready? Boom, ready. Your word is Maria. I'll repeat it. <laughs> you do. Know- the word is. Muria. I'm going to do the... Definition. Clo- yeah, wait, no, wait, can
2: you put it in a sentence? <laughs> That's what I want. No, because
0: no, because you didn't ask that. But I'll give you the definition. It's a genus of tropical, Asiatic, and Australian tree having peanut leaves and flowers with imbricated petals. Muria. Uh, Muria. Frank, origin, can
1: I ask you a question? Is that is it similar to a U.S. comedian?
0: Well... <laughs> Yes, and that was the troll job she did. The origin was Latin from a Swedish name, Maria. Uh,
2: M. U. -U R. R. E. Y. A. Maria. That's what I would say. Awful attempt.
0: I'm sorry. That's an that awful. That is incorrect.
1: M U R R E Y A. Did he say A Y E? Did he say no? M U
2: R R E Y A. Maria. That's
1: Maria. Mur- Maria. Maria? It's,
2: not, it's, Maria.
1: it's not the name of a horse. I'm that
0: sorry. is it. That is incorrect. Okay, Eddie, would you like a shot?
1: M U R R A Y A H. I'm sorry, that is incorrect.
0: Shit. You are both one letter off. It is M-U-R-R-A-Y-A. Ah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> if you had combined your answers and cut a letter off, you would have been correct.
2: <laughs> I don't think that's how spelling bees work, unfortunately. <laughs> I'll take the best of any, the best of sounds, and that'll be the spell. So wait, 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 I don't, I don't get it. How did she troll? Like, what was this?
1: The the Bill Murray. So they the Bill asked Murray, her to
2: spell yeah. it. And she said,
0: by any chance, is this named after a famous American comedian? And they were like, uh, we can't say that. Because she obviously knew it was spelled like that, like Murray, like Bill Murray.
1: It's, it's spelling bee humor, Sam. No, it's...
2: it's 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 absolutely hilarious. Same. I mean, I haven't been part of the tournament. I got a bite to the final, so I didn't really get involved in all of the banter, the spelling banter. <laughs> so one of the
0: other things that I kind of just wanted to bring up, I thought was rather funny that I saw in the news was Drake, I don't know if you saw this, went out on a date last week. Yes. And he decided to rent out Dodger Stadium. And have a nice dinner with his, I I guess, girlfriend or girl or whatever you would like to call it, partner, in the entire Dodgers stadium. Yeah. My question to you, is that the biggest waste of renting out the entire (laughs) Dodgers stadium to have a date? with someone who could care less about being on a baseball field. That's
2: what I don't get about it, right? Is that rent out the stadium, like do what you want. You've got money, do what you want. But why were they positioned at a weird part of the ground where it's just like (laughs) close to the edge? Like surely if you're going to do it, have it like on one of the plates or right in the center of it all and do something around it. It's just weird to go like, I want the whole stadium, but I want to be really close to where the boards are. At the end of the thing. I,
1: I bet you that's like the groundsman saying, like, no, we're not going to let them walk all over. You know, like, they've probably put them in a position where it's like you, can, you can't really do so much damage during this that it causes us any real issues. But I can't. I think if I turned up, I'm going to just put this out there just in case there are any listeners who are really desperate to take me on a date. I would leave straight away. I would not be interested in that date. I would think, what a colossal waste of money! You could have done something that would just have been a lot more fun a lot more interesting for a lot less. But the idea of just renting it out just to sit there— who cares?
0: Wouldn't renting out a suite during the game and having a dinner oh, at way least better. be somewhat better? Because, like, I don't, I don't understand the allure of sitting in a. Sitting on grass, or not sitting, well kind of, you know, set up on grass <laughs> <No table. laughs> in an in an empty stadium. Like it's not aesthetically pleasing. Like, oh man, look at those seats. Wow. So
2: cool. I I don't I, I don't understand. I think it's just someone with too much money. That's that's really the case. I think here. it's a power move. Yeah. I think it's just a power move. It's just move. a dick move from a guy that has too much money.
1: Yeah. It's also, you know, it's the sign of just it's trying to be original, but it's, like, super unoriginal. Like, it's not that creative. Even though it is not something most people would do, It's it didn't take – it's not putting together some incredible date. And I agree with you. I would rather have had it – rent out all the suites during a game. Yeah. Like, something – crazy. I still would have sucked, but, like, at least do that. Be like, oh, we're going to – I've rented nine suites. We're going to watch each inning in a different suite. You could, like, do that. A nine-course
0: meal. And they're themed. Nine-course meal. You know, like... Yep. Themed. Each suite has a different theme that matches the course theme. Yeah. Look at this.
2: Already oh, better. Give me,
0: give me $2 billion. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Wait, is that how much it cost?
0: No, no, not so much money. I'm assuming he has. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No, I, but the other part, too, that, like, if you told me, you know, no, no, she's an enormous Dodgers fan. Then it's the same case, right? So why would she want to sit in an empty Dodger stadium? Wouldn't she want to go and watch them when they're playing? You know, I'm not insulting her for saying that, you know, she doesn't care about sports, she's not interested. But in no way, even if I was a diehard Dodgers fan, I wouldn't want to be there. I'd rather be there when there's things or we're doing something. Like we're playing a game on the field. Now that would be cool. If you told me like, hey, Drake rented it out and he brought 10 of his friends and they played pickup baseball like oh that's fucking awesome that's cool I want more than playing in Yankee Stadium
1: Frank if you rent out if you rent out Dodger Stadium I'd hope you'd bring more than 10 friends to play
0: (laughs) (laughs) no you're playing the Dodgers
1: (laughs) oh oh see oh that would be cool too but no I agree with you if she was like a huge say not that this could have ever happened but like they met playing softball and so his date was like hey I'm gonna rent out Dodger Stadium we're gonna have a softball game and then afterwards we'll have dinner in the stadium but like Yes. This is what we're doing. Then I would have thought that's cool. But again, if she doesn't like sports, then you're just like, wait, why are we here? And basically, the, the Drake's only yeah. Drake's only answer to why are we here is this was really expensive and most people couldn't do it. That's yeah. basically the answer yeah. to why am I doing this? Or you could
2: have it whilst there's a Dodgers game going on. Say <laughs> so your oh, table. On the oh, pitch. that would be a power move. <laughs> like,
1: that would be. Yeah. We are gonna be we're gonna be sitting in left field having dinner throughout the entire game.
2: <laughs> just some guy going for a catch, oh, just God. absolutely plowing through the table.
0: How much do you think it would cost to petition that to like a minor league team that's struggling? Oh, to
1: for Drake to do it or for us? Because Drake there's a different for factor. Drake. Probably free. If he really wanted to do it. To just get Drake to be there, probably free. Now I don't know if you saw the other. We can have a multiple. I don't know if you saw like uh, the little bit of drama that's coming out of baseball because obviously Otani, who is absolutely dominating, the new face of baseball. He's Babe Ruth incarnated, well reincarnated. (laughs) Incarnated. uh, (laughs) He is, uh, you know, doing something incredible, which is going to be opening the pitching, the starting pitcher, and top of the lineup for uh the all-star game and i don't know if you saw that stephen a smith basically came out and was critical of him for the fact that he doesn't speak english and then he has to, everything has to go through a translator and uh it came across as a little bit tone deaf obviously on the heels of some difficulties with asians in america and the way that they get treated um i kind of get where he's coming from in the sense that you would hope if someone's going to be the face of the game you, you there is a pressure on you to learn English. Like if you really want to embrace that role, it's difficult to do that through a translator. So I think there's a way of phrasing what he's saying where the message is correct, which is like, look, if, you know, but at the same time, no, he's an asshole. He's just, yeah, yeah. he's just, he's, he's
0: like, like coming from someone who lived in France and knows how difficult for some people it is to learn languages. Like I, I struggled massively with it. It's just not my thing. I'm not good at languages. Right. So you have a person who's coming over, who's in a constant spotlight, is doing something that's basically a full year job. You know, it's not like he has six hours in a day to go off and, and have English lessons. I mean, he's pitching and he's hitting, let alone. So he's like doing double the work of training. But, it, you know, and it's, it's just it, even what he said makes it even worse, too, because he goes, I don't think it helps that the number one face is a dude that needs an interpreter so you can understand what the hell he's saying. Like, come on. Yeah. It's just he is just an asshole. It just comes across as abrasive
2: as well, just the language used and the
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, that's how that's Stephen A. Smith, who's the A stands for abrasive, yep. but he he uh Or asshole. Yeah. <laughs> and I think the thing too is, right, he might speak pretty good English. I don't know. There and we've discussed this in the past, right? There are often situations in which someone thinks, No, no, I want a translator to be there because I don't want to get into a situation where I misunderstand a specific word or I misspeak slightly and things can kind of spiral out of control pretty quickly if I get asked a question. And so it might be that he understands 90% of what's being uh, asked of him and he could maybe even answer in pretty good English, but he just thinks, do you know what? I'd rather say, I'd rather have total control over what I'm saying so that I know that everything that comes out is exactly the way i want it to be it also gives you the luxury i suppose of if ever he does kind of put his foot in his mouth he can blame a translator which is another added benefit right being like no 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 that's not exactly what i meant bad translation I, I, for some reason
2: i heard that as like bad translator and he like smacks him or
1: something. Yeah, with, with, that's with a, a
2: bad translator <laughs> like, yeah um it's interesting like i, I don't really see the Actually, I, I think there's a fascination with it, right? There's a fascination that you've got the face of a sport not kind of conforming to a norm of being like an English speaker or an, like an all-American hero kind of thing. And I, I think that's encouraging, right? It, it surely encourages other people to do it. It opens up the potential for other people to uh, get into a sport where maybe English has been a massive barrier and now that's clearly not the case. Like, I, I think it's... Uh... I mean I don't think
1: English I don't think English has been a big barrier in baseball for quite a long time. It's been dominated by Dominicans and Cubans. So I think probably English being spoken naturally in major league clubhouses is probably the minority. Also, it's not like there's a shortage of previous Japanese players. I mean, there's never been like Ishiro would be the closest to a Japanese player who's been the face of the league, and he was never was. I mean, this is the this is the first time that's been a Japanese player who's who's done that. But again, I mean, the sport's super super popular in in Japan, so I don't think young Japanese, you know, aspiring baseball or softball players necessarily need this for them to think that they could have a real because they've got a thriving league of their own. Um, but yeah, Noah, uh, it's I mean, it's Stephen A. Smith, but he's a moron. Any other uh, topics from the weekend or the week,
0: Eddie? Do you think your voice would have held up the entire Euro competition because it couldn't hold up one day? It looks like.
1: Well, I mean, I probably yelled more than Southgate did. He was very passive on the touchlines. Um, and I didn't know it, this isn't just we're, one day, right? This is this was several days of abusing my my voice. Uh, the <laughs> Wednesday.
3: <laughs> I
0: thought you were going to say your roommate. <laughs>
1: That's a separate matter, but no, this is several days of of abusing um, my voice, myself, my body. Um, so wow, it's been um, a hell of a Euros. Right? <laughs> yeah, uh, but no, I think this would have just been Eddie.
0: Eddie needs the rest. He's he's happy he's, that it's a winter uh, winter World Cup. Yeah. He needs that extra three four months.
1: No, no, it's earlier. It's coming earlier this time. Oh, is yeah, it? Yeah, the World Cup's six months earlier than it would have been.
2: Yeah, so it's a, it's like oh. 16 months away it starts.
1: <laughs> anyway, but the, look, I think me losing my voice and then giving a press conference, I think it would have made endeared me to the, the English public even more, just the passion that was clearly being shown and the stress that ran through my vocal cords. So no, I think that would have been a great look. I might have had to have done that thing that the Danish manager did uh, a couple of weeks ago, where he held up a sign that just said attack with an exclamation mark. That might have had to have been my move just to try and communicate. It would have just said adventurous and just held that up consistently and shown it to the English players. <laughs> but, but yeah.
0: Once we start making merch, adventurous has to be one of the shirts. Adventurous? Question mark. <laughs> <laughs> no, explanation point. Yeah
1: adventurous question mark is more or, is no. more your world sam that's <laughs>
0: <laughs> well i have to say i think these last few years i'm learning how to cope to be an english supporter
1: yeah i mean it probably doesn't get any better so <laughs> okay. you got another 50 you got another 50 years of watching this frank <laughs> this might Great. be the high water mark because no, there is
2: that depressing reality of like roll on twenty seventy seven when England will next be in like a major tournament.
1: Yeah. I mean think if you're if you're fifty years old, this is this is the best it's been.
0: Well, I mean, in the last few years I've had Iceland, Croatia, and now Italy. So Yeah, oh, they're getting Maybe better. They're going up. Yeah. <laughs> I'll get there. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess I'll talk to you boys later. See ya Cheerio